Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's Full Court Press on this Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. I'm John Fanta. And today on the show, we've got Wake Forest first-year head coach, Steve Forbes. He is a proven winner. What he's done at East Tennessee State before joining the Demon Deacons, pretty special. Was getting them to the NCAA tournament. His career record is 260 and 77. He's been in the business for three plus decades. But nine years ago, Forbes actually had a piece of humble pie, if you will. He was at Tennessee with Bruce Pearl and his staff, and that staff got fired over some violations. Forbes had very little to do with it, and he stayed on the road. He went to the JUCO level, and he's worked his way back to being an ACC head coach. His story is special, and he's ready to lead this program back to places it once was. Wake Forest head coach Steve Forbes coming up. We'll also have a big announcement, a big announcement about Full Court Press coming up after the Steve Forbes interview, so stay tuned for that. And we'll have an ACC forecast. But first, college basketball, as we thought it could be, is in a a state of mystery. We always knew that this could happen. When the NCAA put out their timeline, of the season and put out that November 25th date, you know, it was a date, but there was a lot of unknown that came with that date. Well, now many events, many multi-team events, all of them in Orlando, but many of those events out of all of them were going to come in Orlando in a bubble at Disney's wide world of sports, which just toasted the NBA bubble. Well, yesterday ESPN announcing that those events, they lead the way on all those events being played down in Orlando. They are ESPN events. They came out with the statement that those events were canceled in Orlando due to travel concerns, due to logistical concerns, due to COVID concerns. So with those events canceled, many beginning right when the season starts, November 25th, That leaves a lot of teams in a very murky state in regards to their non-conference schedule. CBS Sports' Matt Norlander reporting from different sources that conference-only schedules are being discussed. Uh, Andy Katz of NCAA.com reporting yesterday that the Champions Classic, which was going to be played in Orlando, we, we know that for, you know, the tradition that it has with Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State, that they're trying to move that to Indianapolis, as well as the Jimmy V Classic. Those are the priorities. Try to get them to Indy, which, ironically enough, is the host city for the Final Four this year. But that's going to take some work and some labor. The point is, as we go on in college basketball here, not only is COVID at this point a, the main concern, 
But now you are less than a month out and you have a lot of teams, dozens of teams that are searching for games. The point being, we are trending in a direction that could see, could see, I don't want to say we will see, that could see a lot of teams you know, just play their conference-only schedule. It, it, there's a lot to be solved. And my concern, folks, is we're less than a month out, and there's a lot to be solved. And with how much there is to be solved, that certainly gets one to scratch their head. Now, I'm an optimist. I hope we play all the games possible. But you're going to hear from a head coach and Steve Forbes talk about that idea of everybody playing every game possible. And coaches want to play as much as possible. Nobody wants to, to play more than them besides the players. But right now, it's a battle. And there's a lot to be solved. And I hope it gets solved. But when you think about uniformity in the sport of college basketball, you know, let, let's look at it. You want to have non-conference play because you want to be able to build up some sort of a resume. But when you're normally scheduling 12 or 13 games and it's down to seven, non-conference play doesn't become as big as it would be. And you're really only talking about two weeks of games. Because the season starts November 25th, and a lot of these conferences are starting league play around December 10th or 11th. So my question is, what is more beneficial? And they both might be feasible. They both might be feasible. But what makes more sense to have your interconference games and, and teams traveling across the country to get games in against a non-conference opponent? Does that make sense when you have a pandemic still going on and you have a lot of things that you have to follow? Or does it make more sense to follow what some conferences, the Pac-12, the Big Ten have done in college football, and, and to uh, another degree, you know, the SEC, the, the plan, the majority of their games is conference games, the ACC too. I think they played one non-conference and now it's all conference. You know, does it make more sense to go, if you're a league, to just say, hey, we're going to start early December, give us the time, we're going to regionalize things to start, we're going to see how it goes, and then we'll, we'll continue to forge on from there. We'll see what happens. We both, we might see both. We might see to a degree non-conference games, and then maybe some leagues go to conference only. Every league's on a different page, though. Every conference is on a different page. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here over the next four weeks. I just hope we've got college basketball happening. I still think we will. Because come hell or high water, there has to be a college basketball season. But with everything that's unsolved, does it make sense for one school to be playing six or seven non-conference games and for another to play zero? I don't know. We'll have to see what happens with that. Let's talk to somebody who is in the trenches, who's in practice right now every day with his Demon Deacons of Wake Forest. First-year head coach, Steve Forbes, he's a proven winner. And he's an example of the journey and the rewards that can come with it. Forbes and I hit on a number of topics from his journey up until this point to what life's been like in his first five months on the job, 
coaching during the pandemic, to life in the ACC, to even some great breakfasts with some coaches in the game right now. Check out our conversation with Steve Forbes. It is great to be joined by first-year Wake Forest head coach Steve Forbes this week on Full Court Press and coach the season just weeks away. You coming in to this program and looking to turn this program around. So tell me here, it's certainly been unique, I'm sure. What have these first five months been like on this job? John, thanks for having me. Um, they're probably been unlike any five months probably any college coach has ever had to go through maybe in the history of college basketball, if you really think about it. I got the job pretty much on May 1, and uh, I didn't meet my team face-to-face until July 25th. I mean, that that's never happened probably ever. And then uh, if you think about it, today is October, what, 20 – what is it, 29, 28? I don't even know what day yeah. it is today, John. Today's the 27th, and I still haven't left campus to recruit, and I've never had a player visit Wake Forest as on, a, on a visit, official or unofficial. And so that part of it has been very challenging. Now, you know, the, 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 the nice part about it is it's a great program. It's a great, unbelievable institution, great people. So that part of it has made uh, the transition smooth. It's just the pandemic, you know, has changed college basketball. It's changed the world. And so we've had to deal with it. We're not the only ones dealing with it. But when you're coming in new, uh, it just puts some handcuffs on you initially. But, you know, since July 25th, knock on wood, you know, my team hasn't had a positive test, uh, COVID. And so we've been able to practice you know, the way we've been allowed to practice. And so we're trying to make strides in that manner. Steve, of course, culture, players, all those different things matter. What do you think is a differentiator for you, though, when you look at your journey, you know, your career record, 260 and 77 as a head coach, what has been the main ingredients of that success? Probably the journey itself and that, you know, really truthfully, nothing has ever really, nothing has been given to me. You know, I've had to earn my way uh, all the way to the ACC and there's been ups and downs. It hasn't all been, you know, success. There's been, um, you know, some, some down, you know, some down moments during that time. I always like to say the road to success is always under construction you know, and then sometimes lessons from the ditch are the most important, you know. And so I have started, you know, as lo- at, at the lowest level. I mean, not that that's bad, but I started in junior college. You know, I coached for nine years in junior college before I ever became a Division One assistant. And it was, you know, at Idaho in the Big West. And, you know, from there, you know, I have moved up in, in – you know, from there to, to La Tech, to Illinois State, to A&M, to Tennessee. And then, you know, we got fired and uh, went back to junior college for two years and then to Wichita State, East Tennessee State, and now here. So, you know, I really believe um, not hitting a single and landing on third base. You know, I had to work my way around the bases. And uh, I think that's made me who I am. And, you know, there's, you know, the experience is really important. And I have a ton of it, and I've seen a lot. And uh, I really believe that that has prepared me 
for uh, to be the head coach at Wake Forest in the ACC from a small town in Lone Tree, Iowa, where I graduated with 32 people. As you're at Wake Forest, you've got a TV network there. The ACC network's done a great job of building that program up, and your games are televised to, and whatnot. But my thought is, Coach, what people won't talk about is your days when you were at Northwest Florida State, yeah. you know, coming off Tennessee. What are the things that you take from a stop like Northwest Florida State something that's on the total different end of the spectrum in terms of, you know, program, brand, all that stuff. What are the things that you take from a stop like that that you still apply to a stop like this? First, it's nice to have a courtesy car back because um, I drove <laughs> – this is a true story. I, I drove a scooter uh, my first year at uh, Northwest Florida. I drove a scooter back and forth to work every day, and I kept every gas receipt, right? I spent $66 in gasoline my first year uh, driving to work and back, okay? Because we only had one car, because I'd had a dealer car for like 11 years as a Division One assistant, and, you know, we got fired, and my wife had to drive the car to teach and do her job, and I didn't really – we couldn't really afford to buy a car because we hadn't sold our house, and so we had a house in Knoxville we were renting. My daughter was in college, and, you know, financially it was just not good, and so – I drove that scooter for a year until I blew it up. I'm not the most uh, mechanically inclined person in the world. I didn't realize you had to put oil on a scooter. And so I blew the engine. And um, so I still have that scooter in my garage, though, because it reminds me uh, every day of where I came from. Um, you know, uh, the thing that was great about Northwest Florida was I just went back to doing what I love to do, you know, and coach in Northwest. I wouldn't be where I'm at today had Mickey Inglet and Ramsey Ross and those guys give me the opportunity to continue to coach. And that's what happened. I just, I was lucky really after 20, you know, two years of being in division one, you know, as a coach, I got to go back and be a head coach, you know, after coaching with some really great coaches. And so I was able to apply all the things that I had learned. I really don't coach a whole lot different today than I did in Northwest Florida. Maybe I got more people helping me and some things like that and, and different kind of players, but coaching is coaching. And it really kind of put me, got me back grounded. I think sometimes what happens when you have success, you know, you get a little bit intoxicated by it. And I think, you know, when you get fired, you know, that, that puts a lot of things in perspective. And I think you have a choice when you get fired, you can get bitter or you can get better. And I feel like, going to Northwest Florida made me better. How much did things come full circle hmm. in your mind, getting that call from John Curry, who was with you at Tennessee yeah. when you did get fired, and now he's your athletic director? Well, you know, it starts at East Tennessee State a little bit. Um, Doc's, Dick Richards, Dr. Sander hired me, but Scott Carter was the associate AD there at the time and, and became my AD two years into my tenure. And Scott was – at Tennessee, too, when, when we got fired. John was our sport administrator at Tennessee. Now, he had left for K-State um, before we got fired, but there, there's no question. I mean, and that, and that's part of the story, right? I mean, you get fired in, in at the University of Tennessee, and then, you know, four years later, you're getting a head job 90 miles away from where you got fired, and, and there's people on the staff that were there, you know? And then five years later, 
you're getting a chance to coach in the ACC and the guy that hired you was at Tennessee. And so I think it goes back to how you treat people. And, you know, if you treat people with respect and you treat people the way you want to be treated, then these opportunities sometimes find you. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for John Curry. He believes in me, you know, and, um, and, I, and I was fortunate. I, pro I got the only high major job that was open last year. You know, and uh, and listen, I could have been. I was very happy where I was at too. I mean, we yeah. were we were rolling. Uh, we had we gone thirty and four. I uh, had a lot of good players back. We had you know we had the program rolling in the right direction. And so it wasn't like I had to leave. I was just looking for something. If it came, it'd be a life changing opportunity at the highest level. And and there it came. And if it wasn't for John and his belief in me, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, I mean, uh, you talk about 24 or more wins in, in your time each season with East Tennessee State, then things were rolling there. One of the very best programs when everybody entered that, that conversation of who, who could be the best team that wears that slipper in the NCAA tournament and what could have been, you know, last March. And I know that that was certainly on your mind. But as we turn to what's ahead here, you talk about it in the coaching it remains very similar to what you had all the way back at Northwest Florida in terms of the way that you coach. Mm -hmm. What's the challenge of recruiting against North Carolina, Duke, NC State, three schools within a 100-mile radius? I mean, I think you just got to run your own race. You can't worry about what um, everybody else is doing, right? You, you pick and choose the players that you like, you know, and you recruit them, uh, and you don't run from a battle. You know, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be recruiting against those guys head to head every day. There may come some times when we do, and if we do, we do, you know. But I think, you know, a lot of times in recruiting, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, you know, and you have to find the players that you like that can be successful for you and also be successful at Wake Forest. You know, we're a, you know, you have to, you have to, it's books and basketball here. You know, it, it, it's uh, you have to compete just as hard in the classroom as you do on the court, and so um, it's a special young man that 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 has that comes here and is successful because uh, it's competitive. It's competitive in basketball. It's competitive in academics. But I relish that opportunity, you know. And so we, uh, you know, we go out and I'm an old school recruiter. I, you know, I like, and this is probably what's kind of hurt me a little bit, you know, with. Uh, with COVID is I like to recruit with my eyes and not with my ears. You know, um, I'm from Iowa, but I'm kind of from the show me state. You know, I, I, I don't really look at rankings. I, I just want to see if you can play or not, you know, and I used to do that at East Tennessee state a lot. I, I would try to put my Tennessee university, Tennessee glasses on first, you know, to see what I actually recruit that kid. And then if I thought I would, then maybe I'd go the other direction because, um, you know, I can't get that kid maybe at East Tennessee state now. You know, we can recruit the best players. So it's not so much evaluating as evaluating the situation and can we get them? And are they a good fit not only for the institution, or are they a good fit for me? And so those things all come into play. And then, does that, you know, does that mean we'll go head to head with those guys? Probably will sometimes. And then there'll be times that we won't. Hey, talk about that when you're recruiting, you, you put the Tennessee glasses on, even when you're recruiting to East Tennessee State. And you actually have, as we dive into this year's roster, you actually have a, a kid in Jalen Johnson who yeah. 
comes from Tennessee, was going to be with you at East Tennessee State, now is with you at Wake Forest. What does he bring to the table? Jalen brings experience. You know, he played in a high-level program for one of the best coaches in the country, Rick Barnes. And so you can't – I mean, that's invaluable to be a guy that has played on a team that was number one in the country at one point and has played for a Hall of Fame-level coach in, in Rick Barnes. And so um, he brings that kind of work ethic and mentality to our team. He brings this experience and he brings this length. I think it's important – you know, especially in the ACC, to have taller guards, bigger wings, and Jalen's 6'7", you know, and he's a wing for me. And so um, – and he can really shoot the ball. He's a really good shooter. He's had some games in the SEC last year where he shot it well. And so, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, he's, he's really improving, uh, especially over the last couple of weeks. I've been very impressed uh, with his uh, improvement, you know, and I've always believed that either getting better or getting worse every day. And every practice is a win or a loss. And he's had a lot of wins over here the last couple of weeks. Another interesting addition that you have that comes from East Tennessee State is Davian Williamson. And you guys released the news about 10 days ago that he would be immediately eligible, average 10 points per game last year. How helpful is it to be able to bring in someone that knows what you're putting down and can relay that to the rest of the roster. Most importantly, um, I can yell at him when I'm mad at everybody else. <laughs> and, uh, he, he can take it, right? He's a tremendous kid, um, high character, a really good player, and uh, knows what we want. And so the most impressive thing to me about him is when he's not in, he's coaching on the sideline. And I'm a big believer in that. I stop practice all the time. And I will actually jump on the people who are not in the drill or in the live action because they're standing over there, not coaching or not encouraging. I'm a big believer in that because I think a quiet gym is a losing gym. And so Davian is really good at that, like helping guys get in the right spots and kind of having a really good understanding of what we want. Now, it's nearly not in his nature uh, to be a vocal leader. And I think this has helped him kind of come out of that shell a little bit. Uh, he had a really good day on Saturday. Uh, we we played uh, – we keep stat – we stat every practice. And he had – he made seven threes and had 30 points in practice on Saturday. Now, we didn't have a good week of practice last week overall. And the fact that it's probably the worst – it's definitely the worst week we've had since we've been here. But, you know, it's it, it's how you bounce back too, right? Not, and everybody's kind of going through this right now, I think. You know, it's kind of the – you're in that dog days, right? It's it's the grind. The season's not quite here. It's getting hard. People are getting tired. Are getting hurt a little bit. Academics are jumping on them. It's tough. It's it's tough, and they got to fight through it. But Davian is a guy that has done that before, and I think will really help our guys with, uh, on and off the court. When I look at what else you have, Steve, I see length. You know, it, it looks like that that at least in practice, I'm imagining that the front court battles have to be interesting. You have several six-foot-eight players. What else do you think this Demon Deacons team can have that, that could allow you to try to, to make some progress here right away in your first season? What do you have? Well, I think um, we have some guys that can shoot, can make threes. Okay. Um, again, we stat everything. We've got six, at least six guys shooting over 35% from three. 
So I think we're going to have to make threes to, to, to be successful. And that's okay. Um, we do have some younger bigs, um, but they're not, you know, guys that have played a lot. And, and so they're going to take a little bit of time. So, you know, we got a lot of competition uh, in the, in the backcourt and that's been good. Uh, turnovers have been a bit of an issue for us. We're going to have to probably slow down a little bit. Um, probably not play as fast as I like to play, but that's okay. And that maybe as time goes on and they get more comfortable with um, what we're doing, we can, we can speed it up a little bit. But I think ultimately, to answer your question, for this team to have a chance, it, we have to be a good defensive team. And um, they're, they're trying. You know, they're not there yet. Uh, we're doing some things differently than probably – what they're used to doing in the past. And so it's taken some time, but um, if, you know, with the link that you talked about, if we can defend and limit teams to, uh, you know, one shot, then I think, you know, we'll have a chance. But if, if we're not able to, that it's going to be hard. And we have guys, as you know, um, we don't really return any, we don't return maybe one starter. I mean, or anybody that really had any played any significant time was, you know, Isaiah Mucius, um, Jacoby Neath played some, Ishmael Masood, but Mucius is really the only one that, with any kind of really true experience, you know, at this level. And so uh, we are, we do have guys are going to going from uh, roles of being a backup to being a starter. And a lot of times, you know, that takes some time. So you weren't able to see your team, what was it, two months, two plus months that, that you're on the job and you're not able to see these guys. For the guys that were teetering, and you had a couple that departed, but for the guys that were teetering, how did you go about the conversation virtually and, and be able to try to keep them? I mean, there was a lot of time on the phone, you know. And as you know, too, it's not just talking to the player. It's talking to everybody around them. And so if you got – I think after I think the day of my press conference, I think we had two guys that weren't in the portal. You know, it was crazy. And so when you're trying to re-recruit eight or nine guys and they got five people around them, that's 40 phone calls in one day. You know, and so that's what I really spent the majority of the first month doing was re-recruiting the team. And, you know, and I had to tell some kids that in recruiting, you know, in the 21, 22 class, hey, my main responsibility initially was to, to have a team, right? And, it, and here's the scary proposition about that. If they don't come back, where are you going to go get them? Because you can't leave, right? You can't go anywhere. You can't have anybody visit. And it's Wake Forest. When, you know, it's not like there's, you know, in May in, and you're in the ACC. How are you going to redo your roster and, and have some yeah. type of success? And so that, to me, was the most important aspect. So it was from – Whenever you woke up till whenever you went to sleep, the majority of my day, 99% of the day, uh, after talking to maybe doing some media every day, was um, re-recruiting the team, you know, and talking to everybody around them and trying to gain their trust. And I give those kids a lot of credit for, you know, and a lot of credit goes away for us, the type of place that it is, that they, truthfully, they wanted to come back to school here. They, they like going to school here and they, they want to play in the ACC. And so I just had to, you know, continue to, to give them my vision for what I had of that, you know, for the program and, and them, even though I'd never met them. It's interesting to me because oftentimes you know, media will say, yeah, well, wait till he gets his first recruiting class or he needs three or four classes. 
your first class at Wake Forest is kind of the one you have to re-recruit. Yeah. Well, that's true, you know. But I will say this, and this is the second time that I've, you know, taken over a program. Obviously, East Tennessee State was the first one at the Division One level. And I always tell the players that, that, that um, they're my players now. And um, so I don't – I'm not one of those guys – I've never said to our players, I can't wait till I get my guys. You are my guys. And we're here to win now, and we're here to establish identity and culture now. And so um, I'm, not, I'm not looking down the road at, hey, I can't wait till so-and-so gets here or we get this guy or that guy. I don't – I've never done that. Um, and, you know, and it's, you know, my first year at East Tennessee State, we won 24 games. You know, now it took some time because uh, I don't think I coached the team the right way my first year. I think I tried to overcoach and do some things that, that you know, when you have Ron Baker and Fred Van Fleet, he can do that you can't do with maybe with, you know, uh, some of your other guys. But we figured it out and uh, had a great run. And, you know, and I think that's what we're going through right now is just trying to figure it out, you know. And uh, I'm not afraid to to change. I'm not afraid to, to, you know, I think it's my job to put our players in the position to win. And so how do you do that? Well, you have to figure out their strengths and weaknesses. And it's hard to know that when you really haven't spent a ton of time with them on the court, you know? And so we're, I think that's kind of the process that we're going through right now. Let's turn to the story in college basketball that is making headlines everywhere right now, Steve, and that is scheduling. What is the status of Wake Forest's non-conference schedule? Well, we only get seven of them, you know, so it's not like there's a – it's that hard to – you know, uh, typically I've been scheduling 13 of those. So, you know, it's when you got 20 league games, you know, that kind of – and then you're down to 27 this year with an MTE or not an MTE, you know, then it's, uh, then it's uh, not that hard. I mean, it is hard because there's – you know, there's a lot of circumstances. You have to match up the, the COVID uh, protocols and, you know, the safety measures. And then you have previous contracts, you know, existing contracts, dates, um, you know, that, that fit or don't fit. And then do you have enough time in between the games to test? You know, so there's so many things. Now, what we chose to do is have our own MTE. You know, and so we have – we'll open up on 25, 26, 27, you know, here. And we're not – and we're not playing a road game in, um, in the seven that we're, that we're playing. And, and, and that was something that the athletic director and I decided upon, uh, John Curry and I, early on. And I think, first of all, we're in our first year. You know, second of all, safety-wise for our kids, it's, you know, it's probably best to, to try to stay here, right, and do the best we can with it. And, there's a lot of teams um, within this, you know, area regionally to play. Um, I don't. We're not playing anybody at, that has to fly to the game, um, you know. So those are some things you know we're working on. But we don't have an ACC schedule quite yet, and so we can't really release it. And not really knowing, you know, exactly what I think we have. I think we got a pretty good idea what the dates are in the ACC. We just haven't been able to get it out yet. So. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, as you know. I, I, I was busy yesterday, and then I got home last night and saw where, you know, some of those bubbles, I guess for lack of a better word, have popped, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I, I understand. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really tough situation. And I feel for 
being on both sides of it, you know, I've been, uh, been in programs where you had to raise that money, you know, with the, with the, um, guarantee money. And there's just not a lot of money out there this year because of the situation of COVID and there's, you know, the, the lack of fans and probably season tickets are going to be sold. We all want things to be normal. That's just not going to happen. We all want every game to get played, you know, and every non-conference game to get played, but it's been swirling around and coaches have, have brought it up. Athletic directors have brought it up over the course of the last 24 hours. I mean, do you do you have that confidence and the belief that because all your non-conference games are are at home, because you've got an MTE that's structured, that you're going to get that non-conference play in, or, or do you think we're trending towards a conference-only schedule? I don't know about that. I, I I wouldn't. I don't. You know, that's something I think we discussed way early. You know, before any decisions were made, that's just a, a topic of discussion that was discussed, but uh, nothing that was ever decided on or voted on. But no, I, I don't think we're at that point yet. No, I, I do believe this. I don't think we're going to have a regular, regular season. I mean, I, I there's not going to be – we're not going to – none of us are going to probably play the same same amount of games. Um, I, I haven't really tried to worry about that. You know, I've tried to just take it one day at a time, one week at a time, and not look too far down the road. Because some of it you're going to control, some of it you can't control. You know, but I will be very surprised if anybody plays 27 games. Now, you know, it could happen, and I hope it does. But, you know, there's just so many factors out there that are, again, you just don't know. You know, if you look at football and all the other sports that are playing right now, you know, a lot of them, very few of them have gone unscathed. Some have, you know, but our season's going to be a little bit longer probably, and it probably revolves a little bit more travel because of we play more games during the week. And so uh, I'm not I, – I would be very surprised if, you know, if everybody gets in a full schedule. Voting, certainly another topic nationally. And, and I know that a lot of teams out there are, are very active in that conversation and – you have some first-time voters, I'm sure, as part of your program. How much are you stressing to your guys the importance of what's to come next week with the election? Well, we've already voted. Um, my whole entire team uh, registered to vote back in right when school started here, uh, August, early September. We took last Wednesday off, and we all walked over to uh, off campus here close, and we all voted. And so uh, – my players have already uh, done that and my staff. And so, um, you know, it's, I think it, it's important every year to vote. But, you know, obviously this year there's a big, been a big push. And uh, we've been very active in that area, especially on campus. Uh, social injustice is really something that is, you know, important to us and important to me. You know, I'm on the NABC Racial Reconciliation Committee. It's something I'm proud to be a part of. And uh, my, my players have taken a prominent role here on campus in, in the social injustice um, movement. And it needs to continue. It, that, that, to me, is something that needs to continue, not just today, but even when I'm done coaching, you know, whenever that is, it needs to continue till it's stopped. And so I've been very proud of our players in, in, the, in, the, in their role in, the, in, those, in voting and in social injustice. Coming into the ACC coaching family, the 
names speak for themselves. I'm curious, Steve, who is someone who called you first or has stayed in touch? Maybe it's a couple of guys that uh, you've just developed a bond with or have linked up with here. Well, you know, um, I've known Chris Mack a long time. You know, Chris has been awfully good to me. Um, even I didn't know Chris Mack when I got fired at Tennessee. I mean, I, I coached against him at Xavier. Uh, but when I was at Northwest Florida, he came down with his family on vacation one, uh, one of the years I was there and just randomly called me and asked me to go to breakfast. And we talked for probably two hours. Now we ended up having, now I have the same agent. Now it's kind of by accident, but, you know, Chris is somebody that I've known um, a long time. You know, Leonard Hamilton was awfully good to me uh, when I was at Northwest Florida and before that, and he's, he reached out. You know, Josh Pazer and I, you know, known each other. I've known everybody pretty much in the league, Coach Laranega, Coach Tony Bennett, Mike Bray. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, obviously I don't have a personal relationship with, with Coach Williams or Coach K or Coach Bayheim. You know, they're, they've been around a hell of a lot longer than me, and I don't, you know, but they've all been good to me, um, you know, and, and they've all been very receptive and, um, you know, Brad. And it's an impressive group, Jimmy Christian. And, and when you do get on, and, and up until about a month ago, we had regular uh, weekly coaches meetings, you know, uh, in, on Wednesday mornings. And uh, I'll be honest with you, when you flip that Zoom on and <laughs> you're staring at those guys, it's like, whoo, you know, uh, mm, tough. You know, I even uh, screenshotted it one day just so I could give it to my grandkids someday. Hey, man, look who I coached with in the, you know, in the ACC. But uh, it's um, it's an impressive group of people and um, extremely intelligent, extremely on the cutting edge of college basketball. And it's always very interesting when we have those meetings to sit there and listen to those guys speak. Does Leonard, does Leonard Hamilton age? No, no, he's got the fountain of youth. I think it's it's over there, one of those St. Augustine, one of them cities down there in Florida. I think he probably rolls over there and, and, and gets some drinks some some of that fountain of youth every year. But <laughs> he's the best. And uh, one of when I get when I first got back into coaching Division One, it's interesting. My very first trip was to Atlanta for Wichita State, and I landed with him and Coach Ham said, "Hey, let's go get something to eat." And so I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta go. No, come on, come on, come on. So we went to Mary Max Tea. You know, this is his spot, all right, in in Atlanta. Okay, and like he's a legend in this place, right? And so you walk in, and it's like, I mean, it's like he owns the place, right? And so we sat there and visited for. Uh, this is interesting for like an hour, and and they said, hey, uh, hey, I don't mean you know to rush off, but I'm, I'm mentoring a a young gospel singer. You know, and I'm like, this man is like, he's got a lot going on. He's a very uh, interesting uh, intellectual person and somebody that uh, is a credit to uh, college basketball and into our society and uh, somebody that I really look up to. And so, um, it, he, no, I don't think he, he ages. He looks younger than I do, and, and, I'm, and I'm probably 15 years younger than him, but uh, I don't look like it. <laughs> Steve Forbes, what's your message to Wake Forest fans everywhere? Well, I, you know, my, my message has been pretty simple that uh, we're here to win and we're here to, uh, to, to build our identity, you know, and my teams have always been a 
teams that play hard and smart together. Um, they, they share the ball. They are gritty and tough on defense. We rebound the ball in two hands and we execute. And so, um, you know, that's the message I've made to the fans that no matter if you know what offense or defense we're running, shouldn't matter. When you walk outside the Joel, you should be able to say, and hey, man, tonight, man, those guys played so hard, man. They shared the ball. They were tough on defense. They rebounded it and they executed. And if we do that, you know, we're going to have a chance, um, you know, to win some games. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. And, you know, here to kind of wake up, wake, you know, and um, it's not like um, they haven't been, not like we don't have tradition. It's not like we haven't had great players to still do, you know, in the NBA, you know, it just needs a, a little bit of a spark and, you know, and that's what we're here to do. I think Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, Chris Paul, uh, the, the names are there, and they've been able to, to find success before. It, there can be a giant that awakes. Yeah, you know, Randolph's on my staff, you know. And he, you know, it's, it's a memory, you know, he's a reminder every day of what can be, right? And I put a picture of Coach Odom and Coach Prosser in my office for the simple reason, out of respect and number and, – and also – to remind me every day when I come to work, this is where this program has been and where it can go. And so, um, you know, there's a roadmap to it. We just got to get it going. And uh, we're off to a good start. And uh, we just got to we got to continue to work every day and, um, you know, and, and really truthfully concentrate on ourselves and not, you know, be peeking around in the corner and looking at what everybody else is doing. We just got to keep going down, keep the train rolling down the tracks, and then we'll be fine. The train is off to a, a unique start in this year of 2020, but they've yeah. got a proven winner and leader leading the way. Steve Forbes, thanks so much for taking the time. I know we had you uh, a little bit longer, but I enjoyed the conversation so much and really appreciate you taking the time today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I, I got this great background here. I look like an alien. You know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting background. But uh, thanks for having me, and um, you know, uh, enjoyed it. And if I can come back on anytime, let me know. Best of luck this season. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me. Just a really fun conversation with Steve Forbes. And look, Wake Forest is going to be a team that is in the back half of the ACC. They're not going to be a team that's at the top of the headlines this year, but he is a guy who knows how to turn programs around. It might not come immediately, but if you listen to that interview and you're a Wake Forest follower, your faith is renewed in Wake Forest basketball. You can hear it in Steve Forbes' voice, his excitement for this opportunity, and I really enjoyed that conversation. The scooter, the scooter into work when he was over at Northwest Florida State. That is fantastic. We need some footage of that. And he still kept the scooter. You know, just, just a reminder for what it's been like to work his way up that ladder. Very, very interesting conversation. We've got some big news coming up to close out the show on Full Court Press. But before we do that, let's get to our ACC Power Rankings. And in this conference this year, you have to start at the top of it with Virginia. They have the mix of experience and youth. And I just love the combination that they have. They finished last season winning 11 of their final 12 games. 
They bring in a Marquette transfer in Sam Hauser, who's a stretch four, who's an ACC player of the year candidate. He is a lethal three-point shooter. He's going to give Virginia a scoring boost. And when we talk about Virginia, we normally talk defense. Hauser is a really good offensive player. He is highly efficient and effective, especially from deep. Virginia brings in a couple of top 100 prospects. Reese Beekman, Jabri Abdul-Rahim. And Abdul-Rahim should provide them with an offensive boost. You bring back Kihei Clark, who's as good of a defender in college basketball as any, and is just an all-around playmaker. And Tony Bennett has the pieces. And what I like about Tony Bennett's team this year is they're going to be able to shoot the three pretty consistently. That defense never wavers, but the question with Virginia is, okay, do they sometimes get into too many games in the, in the 50s and too many grinded-out battles? There's going to have to be a day where you can score. I think this Virginia team can score. And that makes them a national championship-caliber team this upcoming season. Let's go to number two in the ACC Power Rankings. You're not going to be surprised that it is the Duke Blue Devils. But with Duke this year, their newcomers will have a lot on them. You know, Duke has Wendell Moore and Matt Hurt, you know, a couple of former five-star prospects. Jordan Goldwire's back. I like the way he defends. And you've got Joey Baker. But when you turn to this freshman class, there's going to be a lot put on them. Jalen Johnson comes in. Could be a matchup problem and a a really good scorer on the wing. Jeremy Roach is the key to this puzzle. How does Jeremy Roach perform? You know, he's going to be the point guard for this program. And that's a lot to handle. And I am curious with any freshman in college basketball during an unprecedented offseason and a lead-up to their college career how that affects their development and how things play out. But I'm interested to see what what Roach does. You've got DJ Stewart, another five-star freshman, who should provide them with some offense. So for Duke, Roach is is the key. They've got complementary players. Any top 10 team in the country is going to have them. Moore, Hurt, Goldwire, Baker, Jalen Johnson coming in as a freshman who's, who's going to score the ball well. But the key for me with Duke is Jeremy Roach. If he delivers, Duke could be the best team in the ACC. If he struggles, Duke could be flirting more towards the 3-4 or 5 range. But for now, in the preseason, they are number two for me. Number three is Florida State. I went with Florida State over North Carolina. And North Carolina's season last year doesn't impact my my decision on what they'll be this upcoming season. But what I like about Florida State is their length. And the way that Leonard Hamilton has built this program up in recent years. Florida State's consistency is why why I have them at three. Over the past four seasons, Florida State has won 104 games total. Two Sweet 16s, one Elite Eight. That stat's actually courtesy of Jeff Borzello. I should credit him from ESPN.com. It's a great note from him. Get this, again, 104 wins, two Sweet 16s, one Elite Eight. 
And Florida State loses a couple of players who are going to the NBA draft. Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams. Uh, you've got Trent Forrest, who also is out. But Florida State has the reinforcements. You know, they, they have MJ Walker and Malik Osborne coming back as starters. So you've got three returning starters. You've got a couple of players who are ready to take the next step. I like the Seminoles again this year, and I might be a little bit bullish compared to other preseason power rankings that have North Carolina three. I wanted to go a little bit different. I've got Florida State three. I've got North Carolina four. Garrison Brooks is my lead candidate for ACC player of the year. You know, when I think Garrison Brooks, that six foot nine frame, 17 and nine last year, he's a double double machine. North Carolina is going to play through him. And they've got Armando Baycott, who will help him in the, in, on the inside. North Carolina has maybe the best front court in the ACC because of Brooks and, and Baycott. Um, but you also have a couple of five-star centers that they bring in, five-star big men, Dayron Sharp, Walker Kessler as well. So I, I think the key for North Carolina is what are they going to get from deep? What are they getting in their backcourt? You know, they've got a couple of returners, Anthony Harris, Leakey Black, um, and then you have another five-star point guard. We talked about Jeremy Roach for Duke. North Carolina has Caleb Love. What kind of an impact will he make in his freshman season? So for both North Carolina and Duke, they have young guards who are a bit unproven. How does that pan out this season? They've got the five stars next to their names, but how does that pan out in college basketball? You know, Virginia shows that experience matters, and they've continually showed it. We'll see what happens with North Carolina. I have, I have them at four. Five is Louisville. And I don't think there's a player in the country that's ready to break out more than Samuel Williamson. Chris Mack was really high on him when we talked to Chris a couple weeks ago. And for the Cardinals, yes, they lose a large portion of their scoring, over half their scoring from last year. But they have players who are ready to take over the reins. And I like Louisville in the five slot. I think they're like a top 25 to 35 team. Watch out for Sam Williamson. That's the name that you have got to remember. A, uh, NC State is number six in my ACC power rankings, and that's because Kevin Keats got the news of DJ Funderburk coming back. He was going to go in the NBA draft. He's coming back to NC State. That's a huge piece of news. Mammoth piece of news for the Wolfpack. They are number six. They're an NCAA tournament team this upcoming season. Let's turn to the rest of these power rankings in quick order. Georgia Tech is seven. Um, Josh Pastner, you know, it's been a mixed bag, but I think that Georgia Tech can be a, a, a team that finishes in the top half of this league this upcoming season. Syracuse is eight, uh, and when you're thinking Syracuse, think about a shooting guard in Buddy Beheim who can light it up. You know, Jim Somebody is quite a player, um, and I really like what he can put together this upcoming season. I think that the Orange are number eight. Miami's nine. Pittsburgh is 10, but keep an eye on, on Pittsburgh. That's a program that I think is one that can take an upward trajectory in the future seasons. I don't think they're there yet, 
but I really like some of the things that are happening. I really like that Jeff Capel hire. I think that Pittsburgh's a program that down the road is going to take a climb, but for now, they're 10. 11, Notre Dame. Irish have, have not seen fortune lately, uh, and I think they'll be in the bottom four of this conference. Virginia Tech is 12. Wake Forest, 13. Boston College, Jim Christian at 14. So, again, top five, Virginia, Duke, Florida State, North Carolina, Louisville. I think that top five solid. Like, as in, we, we're not going to see a lot of changes with that top five. I myself don't see that. Uh, I think after that top five, things could get a little bit murky. I think NC State's the best of the bunch. And in this league, you get to like eight to 14, and a lot of different things can happen. But that's what I've got in the ACC power rankings. And now we've saved the best for last on this show. The big, big news. We have a new co-host coming to Full Court Press on Pure Hoops Media. That new co-host is a great friend and colleague of mine who last year did an amazing job covering NCAA women's basketball in particular and also covers the men's game, did a great job with the NCAA throughout last season. Now she's with the WNBA doing some tremendous work on their content side. She is a proud graduate of Marquette University. We know we've got some Marquette listeners to the show. We will definitely talk some Marquette basketball. And she's just a wonderful person and is going to do tremendous things on this show. I'm very excited to announce Jenny Fisher as the newest member of the Full Court Press family and cannot wait for her to debut with us next week. The season is ahead. We've got a new co-host ahead, and I'm really excited to work with Jenny. She's first class in every way, shape, and form, and I want to thank Kim Adams for her contributions to this show. Uh, she was amazing. It was terrific getting this show to tip off uh, with Kim Adams, and now I'm really excited uh, to welcome in a five-star recruit, Jenny Fisher, to our show beginning next week. So, we hope that, uh, that you're enjoying this ride. I know I am. And I know that Jenny is excited to be a part of it. And she is only going to add to our Full Core Press family, add to our guest list, add to our fun. I'm sure we'll have some interesting segments. We came on mid-season last year. We got a full season ahead, fingers crossed. And we're really excited to welcome in Jenny Fisher next week. Other Full Core Press news and notes, you got to check out our conversation with maybe the best player in college basketball this upcoming season, the National Player of the Year frontrunner, the Iowa Hawkeyes superstar, the All-American Luca Garza. Check out the conversation. It was really great stuff. He is not only a tremendous player, but you can just tell the kind of person he is. He's got a bright future, and it goes beyond just with the Hawkeyes, as he wants to take Iowa to a place that they've never been, the mountaintop. They've never won a national championship, haven't been to a Final Four in 40 years, Luca Garza makes that a possibility in Iowa City. Check out our conversation. We want to thank Steve Forbes again, the Wake Forest head coach, for joining us today on Full Court Press. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. That's Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. It drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica, McNutt, and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops Podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. 
The Mike Wyatt Show drops each Monday, and I will be back with Jenny Fisher debuting next week on Full Court Press. Check out our shows. Subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. We will see you next week on Full Court Press with Vance and Fisher.